Welcome to Stock Gamblers. I'm George Howell from Chocolatown, Pennsylvania. I'm Chris Carbonar from Wallingford, Pennsylvania. We are here live. Uh, live. On this beautiful Tuesday. We are we are live recording. Uh, it is uh, delayed. <laughs> live recording. <laughs> delayed to you. So what's been uh, what's been going on uh, in your life? Wow, what an interesting week I had or weekend I had. Um, started off with Thursday. For those of you that don't know who I am much, I am a um, sort of a professional musician. So I had a gig about 65 miles away. Had to head down there right after work. I rushed my butt down there, got all my equipment in, realized I left my zipper bag that had all my cables and my microphones oh. in it. And just as I realized that the owner walks in and goes, hey, how are you? And I'm like, Dave, I have to cancel. He's like, what? And I explained, and he was very, very good. He was oh, very wow. nice about it. Yeah, he was. And I actually got another gig in, on a Saturday in November there, so it won't be a work. I won't have to work and then run down there. But that's in about – I've been doing the acoustic thing for about 12 years now, and that was only the second time I ever like had an issue like that. So I guess that's, that's okay. Not bad. But that was the first thing. That was the first thing. So I lost money there. Then I get home. Um, on Saturday, <laughs> a few weeks ago, we had a, um, uh, air conditioning unit put in the house, right? So, okay, fine. I have a separate Which is always, shed that I have always my... fun. Right. Oh, a lot of money, but you know, they did the install in one day. No problem. So I have a, um, a separate shed about 20 yards from the house. It's powered. I do all my music stuff there, but of course I have a backup fridge because everybody loves the backup fridge until the power goes out. So oh. I come home. This has been about two and a half weeks since um, they were working on the air conditioner. Ew. For some reason, they put that tri- they slid they must have slid that trip over on the main board in my house. Oh. I opened that door before I even got to the fridge. It smelled like somebody hasn't checked up on grandma in a long time. <laughs> then I opened the fridge. Oh man, I had about ten pounds of frozen chicken in there. So I don't know if you know how bad chicken gets. Yep. Oh man, it was black zombie liquid pouring out of the top of the freezer when I opened it. The smell was, I was literally gagging and I'm an emetophobic, so I hate throwing up. So I was like, mm, while I'm trying to clean it, I'm putting bleach in. It was horrible. And like right I, now I've let it air out for about four days and it's still bad. It's not like it I was. Also, I also hate throwing up i i have a extreme phobia <laughs> about throwing up i don't know what it is i will i will deal with whatever i have to to choke down the vomit and not throw up i would be hung over for five days yep. rather than throw yep. up it is, it's it's actual thing it's called emetophobia and they say it could be two things that could have triggered it in your youth one could have been a really bad sickness where you were really sick and i did have that when i was like one years old and the other one is something having to do with not having any control. And they said that's another thing that could trigger it. So if there's a situation where you have no control over yourself, of course, what infant does have control over themselves, I don't know. But they say that's another reason why I can get, you can get that. But it's it's for me, it's nasty. For me, it was working yeah. at an amusement park as a, as a kid. <laughs> uh, I, I was probably like 18 years old, and they always had like foreign exchange students and the or foreign exchange workers for for a work program mm-hmm. and the one year they they had uh, they had polish workers come in and okay. they would drink the cheapest rock gut vodka that you could find 
and I hated mm-hmm. vodka, but it was a big party. You're invited, and they of uh, they were sharing their their horrific vodka, and it was always oh we're celebrating that it's 9:55 now. Take a shot. <laughs> oh, we're celebrating that it's 9:57. Take a shot. You know, like anything that they could do a shot for, they were doing, and I had the most horrific sickness. I w- my one friend got sick and he was throwing up in the toilet and I had nowhere to go. So I had to throw up in the tub and oh. getting sick in a tub doesn't work. You then have to clean out I the tub. It. Yeah. So the strainer. it was, yep. strainer. <laughs> so it was, it was completely I'm awful on all fronts. Yeah. Oh God, I'm gagging thinking about it. What's new with you, man? Besides your wonderful story of puke. Uh, I, uh, I went to my friend's band. He uh, he called me up last minute and uh, hey, uh, we uh, we don't have a place to stay. Can we crash at your house? Yeah, all right, cool. So uh, my my friend's band stayed at my place, and um, was it We Bread Raptors? It was You Bread Raptors. Um, oh, nice. So went to went to their show and uh, during the whole show, excellent show. Uh, there the the opener was. Um, uh, Hemlock for Socrates, which I had never heard of before. A, a really cool band. They're like a. Uh, I like the name. Yeah, they're. It, it's really weird. It's like a, a lo-fi kind of a thing, but uh, oh, man, I'm so bad at trying to peg their music style. But it, it was kind of like a cross between mm-hmm. like Nine Inch Nails and the XX. It, it, it was so different. It had Whoa. like really like operatic singing at some points. Yeah. Really. Really cool stuff, but uh, I'll have to check them out. So I gotta check that out. I like the name. Yeah, yeah, really, really cool band. So is you Bread Raptors, excellent band. Um, I mean, I, I think I think Pete is probably one of the best bass players in the world. But uh, so the whole time that we're at this show, this couple keeps like staring at us, like me, me and my wife, and uh, it's like, all right, well, I don't know what's going on, whatever. Uh, end of the show, we're we're hanging out with my my friends in the band at the merch table and this couple comes by later and like they start talking to my wife and i and it's like all right i don't you know like we're we're in our 40s you know it's hard to make i know where this is we're hard to make friends and all that like it's like okay whatever maybe maybe these people are just like lonely and they they want friends too like whatever we start talking they exchange uh social network yeah, they started exchanging social <laughs> network profiles. My wife later goes through their their Facebook account, and um, they're apparently into picking up other other couples. Uh, oh. They they appear to be a maybe the swinger lifestyle, and uh, oh yeah, that was uh, kind of awkward. You know, good on good on them for getting out there and seeing their their life dreams through but uh that's you know what the fact that they the fact that you couldn't tell they were swingers must mean they were reasonably attractive because anytime i've ever seen any documentary on the swinging lifestyle it's not like the movies (laughs) it's it's always some you know big hairy like 65 year old guy and you know it's well it's a it's a two-part process for for this uh for for them making it through the radar first is like you you're right they were not fugly <laughs> and right. uh, uh second was that uh i am a <laughs> i'm a very uh oh i don't know uh i'm not 
shy. I, I I'm just great at avoiding people whenever. Like I, I'm from Central Pennsylvania, so I am so closed off around news new people to begin with. <laughs> uh, that you know, I I I'm really off putting. So like I kept pretending that like I. <laughs> I was drunk or something and kept watching the episode of the X-Files that they had on the playing on the television. <laughs> but my wife kept talking to him. So it kind of just, I don't know, kept doing whatever. And they kept asking me questions like, what do you do for a living? And all that. It's like, yeah, I do this and that, you know, whatever. Bye. <laughs> but well, Melissa's Canadian, you know, so she probably thinks everybody's friendly. Very, very friendly. Yeah. She's Canadian. So yeah, that was, that was my weekend. That sounded like that was fun. Could have been a little more fun, too. <laughs> could, have, could have been uh, way more fun or way more not fun. No, I'm, no, thank I'm pretty, you. I'm pretty happy to be uh, married and boring, you know? Like, I, my <laughs> life too. is just about, com- just about complete. <laughs> well, that area is taken care of, so it gives me other areas to totally <laughs> right. screw up my life. Yeah, you I know can, what I mean? Like I can focus on the other stable. things I need to work on, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like marriage, marriage. So is, what's going on in? <laughs> I was gonna say. Uh, Trying to push us along. I, I know, but I was gonna say marriage is great. I, I, I'm enjoying it. I, I have great success. If it didn't work out, I, I think I would stop trying that. <laughs> you know, like. The, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's why it always amazes me when people get divorced and they get remarried right away. Right. Like, no, dude, take a ten years off. <laughs> yeah, like I, I know. Brother did that. I know people have done like five times now, and it's like, aren't you tired of losing half? Like you, you know, you're you're down to like an eighth or a sixteenth now. Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Right. Like, like stop getting the government involved in your relationships. <laughs> They're the only ones who can mediate the relationships, I guess. Right. All right. So on with the news. Uh, okay. You go first. No, you go. You All right. That one. <laughs> Musicians, th- th- this isn't really a stock thing, but it involves a publicly traded company. But I brought this up because of our past week. Musicians such as Sarah Beth Tomberlin and Jeff Rosenstock are speaking out against venues that impose substantial fees, often exceeding 40% on their merchandise sales, a practice they denounce as robbery and wage theft. This practice has led to an uptick in merchandise prices at shows as it has become crucial for musicians to cover their costs and hopefully secure a profit amid mounting travel expenses. While Live Nation recently announced a temporary pause on merch fees at some smaller clubs, 80 out of their 300-some, clubs (laughs) uh, artists remain dissatisfied and are urging for a permanent end to this practice with some launching petitions and campaigns to raise awareness and pressures and pressure venues to changing their policies. Have you heard about this? Were you aware of this? Have you run into this as a musician? Uh, I've, I know that merchandising is a huge, huge for a lot of traveling musicians who are, you know, not well known CD sales, um, online streaming that that's nothing. They don't make any money on that. They almost make no money on the music. It's right. all merchandising. And to have somebody raising the prices like that, they're getting that money, but they're also, you know, off-putting to people who are trying to save a buck. They don't want to buy. They'll wet, they'll wander away from the venue and buy off somebody in the street rather than buy at the concessions. Now I don't know if they're talking about big venues, but any concert you go to these days, there's people outside selling T-shirts on the cheap. Right. Now, granted, these are going to shrink the first time you wash them. They're <laughs> going to fray. They're going to shrink. And the iron-on decal is going to peel off. <laughs> 
Yeah, right. exactly, exactly. But if you go into the venues, even when we were at the Keswick a few weeks ago uh, or a few months ago, uh, this stuff's so ridiculously overpriced. It's something like like sixty dollars for like a sweatshirt or something. Now you know why, yeah. Even, <laughs> and not a good one, and not even like a nice one. So I totally see where where this is coming from. I mean, Live Nation is. Uh, I mean, they're basically are this generation's Ticketmaster as far as the way they're. Oh, they're they're, they're same company. You know what? I thought that. Yeah, Maybe same that's why I had same company. Yeah, yeah, they're they're there to gouge you on all the concert fees and all the other crap. Why is there a fee on a downloadable ticket? Well, how else? That's what I want to know. Well, how else are you going to get the <laughs> digital delivery if you don't pay thirteen dollars to have it emailed to you? It's ridiculous. I know. Not even like, emailed. I mean, download. Boop, like that. And, and you're right, too. Like, it, it, it's so crazy how all of these companies come together to just screw over creative people. Because, like right. like you said, for streaming, I remember when streaming started getting popular. I think it was the band Cracker pu- published oh. their, their check that they got from, like, Spotify mm-hmm. or something that had tens of thousands of listens and they got paid like 14 cents for it like that's ridiculous back in the day the, made f- <laughs> back in the day like the rolling stones when they were coming out with new albums you would get paid to make an album then then mm-hmm. in the 90s when when recording was so non-expensive at all so cheap to record because of the cds which is like what propelled mm-hmm. the grunge movement then they started going, well, we're going to start charging bands for studio time and for making the CDs and distributing the CDs. Uh-huh. So after you record your album, yep. you're going to owe us like $65,000 and we're not paying you anything on your portion of CD sales until you uh, you cover that. Then then it got into right. ticket sales where, where everyone started gouging the artist on the ticket sales because – Touring was like the the last area where people made money after getting screwed over by the album, where at least doing shows, they can make money on that. So they started screwing artists there, so they're not making money on it. Now they're cutting into merchandise, which was truly the only thing left, that having your own people sell a t-shirt, like, it it is absolutely crazy this is going on. And there's no, it does sound like there's no accountability. It's just like we could charge whatever we want. Either you'll buy it or you won't, you know. Right. But you're here in the moment. You're here in the moment watching your favorite band. You could afford 80 bucks for this sweatshirt, you know. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I only had to pay 265 dollars on an 80 dollar ticket after all the late, after all the and junk fees. <laughs> 40. I remember we went to see Ween. It was um, fifty dollars to park in that close lot. We <laughs> right. Didn't park in that lot, but it was fifty dollars to park in that close lot. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. So there's another 50 bucks you got to add into your expenses for yep. parking. So I mean, you could just leave your car somewhere in North Philly, though. Just you know, leave it anywhere. Yeah, I mean, the 50 50 bucks is better than the 250 you're gonna have to pay for a broken window. <laughs> right. But, exactly. So not really, not really stock news, but I really wanted to rant about that because that really irks me being friends of so many musicians like you and everyone else. It irks me because there's less money to spend on stocks. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Good recovery. All right. So moving right along, a major Wall Street bank, Deutsche Bank, has issued a warning about the risk of inflation expectations becoming unanchored, similar to the stagflation era of the 1970s. I had never heard stagflation before. The recent weekend attacks on Israel by Hamas have highlighted the return of geopolitical risks, adding to the unexpected shocks of the current decade, including the COVID-19 pandemic 
and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Rising oil prices driven by the Middle East conflict are among the factors contributing to similarities with the 1970s, which also include above-target inflation, labor strikes, and the possibility of an El Nino weather pattern. Another El Nino weather pattern. Wow. Inflation continues to remain above central banks' targets in G7 countries, making it a critical concern for financial markets. Deutsche Bank emphasized the importance of not underestimating the path of inflation, as persistent high inflation could lead to the destabilization of inflation expectations. While there are differences between the current situation and the 1970s, such as well-anchored long-term inflation expectations and improved supply chains, vigilance is necessary to avoid policy mistakes that could lead to a resurgence in inflation. That, um, so a warning of inflation. That really sounds like what was uh, what were those after-school kids specials, specials on like, uh, you know, like, don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Like, right, right. <laughs> destabilization of inflation expectations. You know, it's got like that. <laughs> I'm going to. It's, it's more fluff. <laughs> I mean. Uh, yeah. So uh, you touched on something that we should probably uh, call attention to. If you do not listen to any news at all uh, and you're just hearing about it now, Hamas has attacked Israel and Israel is retaliating, so that uh, it, well, Israel declare war on Hamas. So uh, uh, that uh, that is definitely starting to shake up the market. Yeah, and really, I don't know where it can go from here. Um, I, I don't want I don't want to get political, but I just know one thing I do know is uh, you don't mess with Israel. <laughs> um, they. Uh, they have the hardware, but apparently so does Iran now. Yeah, apparently so. So um, the fact they said that the um, a lot of the rockets that were used were from Iran, right? Were Iranian rockets. I, I don't know how true that is, but oh man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't want to get political, but man, what a what a crazy it's at a time, really rough time. Yeah. All right. I mean, it's good. Go ahead. All right, moving along. No, I'm not Rivian Automotive stock surged over 5% after UBS analysts initiated coverage with a buy rating, noting that the electric vehicle maker's prospects are improving, particularly in production and other fundamentals. Despite the buy rating, UBS lowered its price target on Rivian from $26 to $24. The analyst mentioned that two recent tailwinds for Rivian, including legacy automakers' potential pushing back on their EV goals, creating a need for regulatory credits and the possibility of a labor cost advantage as the company scales its Georgia facility amid talks of unionization at other EV battery plants. What? How do you feel about Rivian? Because uh, everyone's so excited about I this. Like, I don't know much about Rivian, to be honest with Rivian you. Rivian is a French company. Uh, that has started making electric vehicles, and I think everyone's really excited about this because they feel like it's another opportunity to get in on another Tesla. Without having to deal with Tesla. <laughs> well, without having to pay 200 and whatever dollars a share or whatever it's up to now right. and deal with Elon Musk. But uh, <laughs> I got some nice-looking cars. Rivian or Tesla? Yeah, Rivian, yeah. Rivian. They're okay. Really nice looking. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I don't really like the look of Teslas, so I mean, they're okay, but I, these Rivians look nice. I think the Cybertruck looks completely ridiculous for Tesla. Which one's uh, that? The, oh, for Tesla, yeah. yeah. Uh, Teslas, they don't, the look of it, they don't offend me, but I mean, like, I don't, I don't think they're as chic as everyone makes them out to be. It's like pretty. Yeah, they look. It's like a Volkswagen Bug, an updated Volkswagen Bug. I was gonna say it sounds like a, um, a knockoff Porsche almost. The way it looks. <laughs> almost, yeah. Like you know, your mom went to buy Porsche, went to buy you a Porsche from um, Kmart or something. That's what she <laughs> found. Oh, that's funny. All right. All right, we're moving along. Yep. On Tuesday, U.S. stocks, which is today, by the way. On Tuesday, U.S. stocks experienced gains driven by a decrease in Treasury yields as investors evaluated the implications of the Israel-Hamas conflict. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose by 0.4%, about 126 points. The S&P 500 increased by 0.6, and the Nasdaq Composite climbed about 07 this positive market sentiment followed a more than 12 basis points drop in the 10-year Treasury yield, which closed at 4.655%. The fall in yields provided a boost to stocks and helped alleviate concerns about the rapid increase in interest rates. Additionally, the decline in oil prices after a previous rally offered relief to investors. Investors appeared to look beyond the geopolitical risks posed by the Israel-Hamas conflict, partly due to a stronger-than-expected September payrolls report and optimism surrounding upcoming third-quarter earnings reports. The decline in yields was seen as supportive of equity markets, and some investors speculate that it might signal the end of the Federal Reserve's tightening cycle. Inflation data, including the producer price index and the consumer price index, was anticipated later in the week, which could actually impact the market sentiment. And while the conflict between Israel and Hamas remains a concern, some analysts believe that Tuesday's market rally was partly due to the oversold conditions and negative sentiment already being factored into prices. Despite the uncertainty, certain stocks such as PepsiCo saw gains after reporting better than expected third quarter results. PepsiCo's CEO mentioned that the company was feeling a negligible impact from weight loss drugs like Ozempic and Wigovi. Sound familiar? Attributing this resilience to portfolio transformation efforts and other factors like urbanization and changing snacking habits. Hmm. I, okay. um, yeah, I mean, it, again, the whole Israel and Hamas thing. Uh, I, uh, I'm surprised that Pepsi did better because I know that mm -hmm. their Pepsi owns SodaStream and SodaStream was an Israeli company before Pepsi bought them. So I know they still do a great deal of production in Israel. Mm -hmm. So I'm really surprised that their uh, their stock shot up due to this because I don't know what the the war is how the war is going to impact their production of SodaStream mm -hmm. products. That's a good point, and it makes you also wonder because there's quite a few pharmaceutical companies, some of which I have stock in, that are based out of Israel. So I'm sure that's going to have some kind of a, a trickle down effect on them. Yeah. All it takes is one, one, you know, one hit on a facility, and there it goes. All right. Speaking about the electric vehicles again, uh, Tesla has refuted oh. claims made by a German union in recent media reports regarding the health and safety provisions of its Gigafactory near Berlin, emphasizing its commitment to protecting workers' health. 
The scrutiny arose after German media reports, citing local authority documents, highlighted an unusually high number of work-related accidents at the plant, which, em which employs approximately 11,000 workers. Some of these accidents resulted in severe injuries, such as burns, exposure to hydrochloric acid, or amputated limbs. German union IG Metall expressed concerns over health and safety as well as overwork at the Tesla factory, reporting a significant increase in membership numbers from Tesla workers. Tesla responded by stating that workers receive training in safety measures and protective clothing, and the plant undergoes regular safety inspections by local authorities. However, Tesla did not directly address the specific claims regarding the number of accidents or workers on sick leave at the facility. Reuters interviewed 12 workers at the factory with mixed feedback. While some workers expressed satisfaction with working conditions, others reported high pressure for speed, a high incident, incidence of accidents, and issues related to receiving overtime pay. According to Brandenburg's Authority on Occupational Safety and Health, it maintains records of serious work-related accidents that result in over six weeks of an inpatient treatment or permanent physical damage, reporting six such incidents at the Tesla plant in 2021 and 2022. The Authority conducts regular safety checks at the facility, both announced and unannounced. <laughs> I tend to believe the employees that are complaining more than the ones that say everything's fine. Um, again, to we're talking about Europe, we're talking about Germany, we're talking about a country with um, a lot of, I'm sure, regulations and a lot of oversight. So what's going on is what I want to know. It makes me really wonder why they have a gigafactory in Germany, because Germany mm -hmm. has really uh vigilant and, and uh and and uh strong oversight on everything safety everything labor focused mm -hmm. uh i i i wouldn't build a a plant in germany for manufacturing you know like maybe maybe it's because of german engineering and german craftsmanship that they thought the batteries would be made really well there and that's why they chose that but uh i know that they're building a giga plant factory in china and that makes sense to me because you know <laughs> china doesn't care anywhere near as much about their workers a, a, a limbless chinese person I, the right. government really doesn't care mm -hmm. about um so uh, uh i i um i i'm surprised up front to to see that Tesla built a battery factory in Germany, but uh, mm -hmm. I, I do tend to believe the uh, the workers also because when you go back to the American stories about how employees are treated, where uh, you know the the California plant had less parking spots than than employees <laughs> working because Elon Musk wanted to encourage people to show up way too early to report for work, you know, like, oh, like really seditious oh. things like that or sadistic things like yeah. that. It, yeah. It, uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I believe the workers. Uh, yeah. And plus you figure it's Germany. So I just think that if something's wrong, they ain't going to take it. <laughs> it's as opposed right. to us, you know, right. like, 
Yeah. All right. Uh, any other stock news you want to talk about? Uh, didn't seem to be a whole lot this mm, week. Not. With uh, Mostly everything no. was talking about the impacts of the war or the government shutdown mm -hmm. still. There's really yep. no new meat on that bone. So. And still no speaker. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. <laughs> uh, a week later, we're exactly where we predicted we'd be. In fact, a week later, Kevin now Kevin McCarthy said he, he wants he would take it again. First he said he wouldn't oh, take it again. Oh yeah. If offered. Now, now he says he's going to take it again. <laughs> now that now that nobody wants him, everyone definitively wants him to be out. He he'd be willing to do it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all right, that's great. Uh, all right. Ooh, it looks like we have rolled them dice. I love Is rolling them dice. Roll them dice. Oh, let's roll them dice. Roll them dice. My favorite game, the game where I name off five companies that are publicly publicly traded chosen at random and we say whether or not we would buy them so first up on the list starbucks corporation no i have I do not like starbucks really i hate i hate i hate their product really <laughs> yeah okay so for people who don't know you i'm i'm shocked at this because you are a very proud italian and you don't like and a coffee drinker. And you don't like espresso. Oh, I love espresso. Okay. I don't love Starbucks espresso. Because <laughs> uh, Starbucks always tastes burnt to me. Their coffee does to me. Yes. I do like their espresso, and and I found that that is the key for Starbucks is you have to have an espresso drink if you want coffee. Oh yeah. You have to order like an americana where they they take an espresso shot. And top it up with water mm -hmm. to make the coffee. That that tastes good. Their coffee to me oh, sucks. I hate their coffee. Yeah. It tastes over roasted and burnt and like crap. But their espresso yeah. based drinks I enjoy quite a lot. I also don't like the whole. I don't like the customer. I don't like the the average Starbucks customer. Oh my God! Can I get like a grande vente uh, with soy milk and blah blah blah, blah and whatever? I completely <laughs> agree. Um, as a Starbucks shareholder, though, I love okay. making money off of that person. Love it. Okay. All right. Um, uh, it's been doing well for you? Yeah. Yeah. I've made a decent amount of money on it. I, uh, okay. I would not buy it now, though, because Charles Schultz left the company again as CEO for the 178th time. I think he's been CEO... At least three or four times now. Every every time he leaves, the company does something moronic and screws it up and they pull him back. In. Tanks everything, and he has to come back and bail him out over and over again. So uh, now that he's not there, I I see them on a downward trend again. Because for whatever okay. reason, he's the only person who can understand that company. So if you see him brought in, you know something's wrong. Right? No, no. If you see him <laughs> coming in when when Charles Schultz come back comes back. That's the time to buy. Buy low because okay. he's the only one who understands how to sell coffee to, to addicts. <laughs> okay. All right. I thought that'd be easy. Caterpillar Inc. Uh, yeah, I would say yes. Only because, I don't know, they're cool products. I work around Caterpillar products all the time. Big fan. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're reputable. Uh, like all equipment, they do break down from time to time. I absolutely hate though caterpillar licensing their name for uh uh you know the uh the designer 
designer clothing or designer designer prescription glasses. Caterpillar really? does not make designer prescription glasses. They are just glasses with a cat name on it. I don't know why you would ever buy Caterpillar prescription glasses. Reminds me of my back who. If you're making like <laughs> Caterpillar uh, safety glasses, maybe. But but prescription okay. glasses, that is stupid. Uh, that, being, that being said, I'd buy Cat. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> Airbus, S-E. Is Airbus... What is that? It's an airline, or do they make planes? That is the French plane manufacturer. Okay. French? Nah. <laughs> I say no. So, my dad worked for McDonnell Douglas and then Boeing for mm-hmm. probably 20-plus years. Uh, wow. So, um, we, we're we Boeing family. Um, uh mm-hmm. I would be drugged into the street and beaten if my dad were still alive, and I said I would buy Airbus stock. Uh, he he used to talk about how Airbus just is an inferior product, and their planes fall out of the sky, and then Boeing planes started falling out of the sky, and I sold my Boeing stock. Uh, I I don't think I would buy Airbus stock. Because of my family, but I can see how it mm-hmm. would be appealing, especially how people are not buying Boeing planes as much. I think the, uh, I think I saw the Boeing 737 today is at an all-time low for for sales. Yeah. So can't imagine why. Yeah, yeah, I, government cover-up. <laughs> Who would have known? So uh, yeah, I would, I would <laughs> allegedly, allegedly a government cover-up. <laughs> um, I like the um, and the way the way it happened, it, it was um. You know, they'd take off and immediately nosedive. There was like yeah. something with the rudder that they didn't they didn't train their foreign pilots on how to how to address it. So I it was can't so easily... believe. I can't believe <laughs> a company it... would create would make safety systems and, and integrate that into the plane and then make you pay for that or shut it off if you're not paying a subscription for the part that's already installed in your plane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I could, I, I, if it weren't for my family, I would say I would buy Airbus. Right. Well, T-Mobile, I mean, US. Too. Oh, T-Mobile, I would buy. I, I don't know why, but I would buy. I've made decent money off of T-Mobile. I, I owned, uh, Sprint shares and, uh, that mm-hmm. converted T-Mobile on the, uh, on the purchase of Sprint by T-Mobile. I made decent mm-hmm. money on that. Uh, T-Mobile's done well for me. Their customer, no service. Is that they're they are doing an awesome game of just screwing the customer really over. I left T-Mobile. Oh, I left T-Mobile a couple of years ago because they are after that merger between Sprint and T-Mobile, their customer service went down the toilet like nothing. Um, really? But Worse but they're boost? but they're awesome at profiting. So I, I would buy T-Mobile. Yeah. Right. Just don't use their product. <laughs> yeah, I won't buy their phone plan, but I'll buy their I'll buy their stock. Kimberly, so I was with Comcast. <laughs> Kimberly Clark Kimberly Corporation. Clark. I would buy. I would buy them. I, I think I've mentioned this before because that's actually um, a, there is a local Kimberly Clark in Essington or in Chester, and they make a wide variety of um, big time products, paper products. Like they're like a 3M kind of a thing. Uh, they're a well known organization in this area, so I would. I would buy them. 
I feel like we've covered them before, but these we were have, selected we by random. Yeah, so random, um, yeah. I would I would Million, buy. millions of companies out there and millions of companies yep. out there and they. <laughs> That's how random works. That's true. That's a good point. So yeah, I would, and it is a different time period. So they could have done something that would just make everything tank. Like they could have made a real screw up. So yeah, I'd mm -hmm. still buy them. Yeah, I would too. All right. So uh, we want to first thank our our uh, our producer Don Rayom for being a Patreon member, being a patron. Uh, he continues to finance this podcast, which is something you can do as well. All right, Don. If you uh, if you go to Patreon.com/stockgamblers, you can add to our campaign and also uh, receive bonus content from us and ha get access to our uh, virtual stock exchange where we compete for the best stock. Um, I am I'm crushing. I am still beating you while we are both losing our butts. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not losing. Are you losing? You're not losing as much as me. I am. I am not losing as much as you, yeah. So, uh, so do that, and cool. also, <laughs> also if you could tell if you could tell a friend about the show or rate us on iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcatcher you use, that would be a huge help. Moving Thank along, you. That. Carbo, you Ooh, have some, some picks from the Motley Fool. Ah, uh, uh, the Motley Cruel guys. They um. This is one of their repeats from a couple times I've seen it. They're they're into CrowdStrike again. CrowdStrike, CrowdStrike. has demonstrated impressive CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike has demonstrated impressive growth in its recurring revenue, with annualized recurring revenue reaching 2.93 billion in the second quarter of fiscal 2024, marking a 37% increase and a 14-fold rise over the past five years. The company has also enhanced its efficiency with gross margin improving by over 20 percentage points in the last five years and a subscription gross margin of 80% in the first half of fiscal 2024. Adjusted operating margins have also shown significant improvements facilitating investments in key areas like sales, marketing, research, development, and overhead costs. CrowdStrike has been at the forefront of utilizing AI and machine learning to enhance its Falcon platform's cybersecurity capabilities, integrating new AI-powered features such as malware detection, vulnerability prioritization, and threat hunting. The company has been successful in cross-selling additional software modules to its clients with a high client retention rate, exceeding 98% for five consecutive quarters. In terms of long-term potential, CrowdStrike anticipates growth in its totally addressable market from about $76 billion in 2023 to nearly $98 billion in 2025, even with its current feature set. By expanding its product offerings and seizing opportunities in cloud security, CrowdStrike aims to broaden its TAM significantly, projecting a TAM of $1.58 billion by 2026. While CrowdStrike stop has shown, stock has shown impressive gains since its recommendation by Stock Advisor, it does face increasing competition in the cybersecurity sector with companies like Palo Alto Networks and Zscaler gaining traction. Furthermore, ongoing investments in adding new functionality to the Falcon platform and high stock-based compensations could affect profitability. But there it is, CrowdStrike, Motley Crue's so, pick of the week. Other than having a name that makes you want to yell it, like CrowdStrike, uh, CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike, they're they're an AI company doing software security or what? Yeah, they apparently do it all. They do it all and they do nothing at the same time. So all I know is that they like, have been on the 
What's that? Oh, like I've been Mont- reading this thing from Motley Fool, and I have no idea what this company does. <laughs> exactly. So always invest in a company where you have no idea what they do. That's yeah. Always, um, a, a key proponent of our our, our strategies. Yeah, I, I love I love gamblers. big tech. I love big tech companies that I don't understand the product. Here's my money. Right. <laughs> Here's my money. Make it grow. Yeah, it, it sounds like they do uh, security, AI-based security. Um, what happens when the AI that is providing the security falls in love with the computer virus? Mm-hmm. The singularity. <laughs> is that when it becomes? Is that when it becomes uh, sentient? <laughs> they meet. They fall in love. Screw oh, all humans. <laughs> All right. We're going to be their fuel. Your moving turn, Barons. <laughs> moving on to Barons picks. <laughs> nice, nice reference. We're going to, we're going to be their fuel. Uh, <laughs> Booking Holdings, the parent company of travel websites like Booking.com and Priceline, and every other vacation planner, has been outperforming in the travel industry with its stock doubling the return of the S&P 500 over the past three years. The company's strength in Europe, where it has the largest market share in a fragmented business, sets it apart from competitors like Expedia. While U.S. travel may be slowing, Asia presents high growth opportunities, particularly in China, where travel is still only 60% of pre-COVID levels. Booking Holdings is also expanding into connected travel, providing an all-in-one platform for travelers and using artificial intelligence to improve customer experience. That is, um, that's a very interesting pick. I would think that all of these companies would be played out because, um, you know, they all, they all seem old hat to me, you know, like the, you know, Priceline was the big like Shatner thing forever ago. And, and I, yeah. I thought it would have peaked then. Um, I, I guess, to their point, they're trying to gain after COVID again with people traveling again. So there's probably opportunity. I could see that. Well, I'm, I use it. I use Booking.com, and I um, I found it to be more user friendly than Expedia. I found it to have better options than Expedia. And one of the things now. All the sites may do this now, but they didn't when I used to use other sites like Travelocity and all those other ones. What was the one? Kayak, all those. Booking.com, yeah. almost all the things that you book, you can cancel almost up until the day before. Okay. Now, they will tell you if there's a situation where you can't, but they're like free cancellation up until this date or free modification of your of your reservation. They just think it's a better better product than Expedia. So I use it all the time, actually. I just used it when I went to Western PA uh, last week. I usually use Kayak, and I, I mm-hmm. think I, I would have to look at it. Um, yeah, Kayak is owned by Booking Holdings. That That's what I thought. Oh, they yeah. own? Okay. Because when you're on when you're on Kayak uh, searching for things, it'll do the... You could have this price if you went to Booking.com. So... They're, they're all related, kayakbooking.com and Priceline, mm-hmm. which is funny because I'll, I'll go to Priceline every now and then too. But, yeah, I never go to Expedia or any of the other stuff. But Booking booking Holdings, they they own a good chunk of these companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving along, Agco, a leading farm equipment giant, has entered into a significant deal with Trimble to combine their precision agriculture business. 
Under this agreement, Agco will acquire an 85% stake in the joint venture and pay Trimble $2 billion. This landmark deal is valued at approximately $2.4 billion, making it the largest agricultural wow. technology deal to date. The objective of the partnership is to enhance Agco's capabilities and precision farming technology, enabling the company to compete more effectively with industry leaders like Deere. Wow, that um, I don't... that's pretty big news because you you I mean you think farming equipment and you automatically think John Deere. Exactly right. And from I didn't even know never heard of Agco. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't either. And from what I've been reading about their their technology is pretty impressive and uh supposedly that this this uh this should be what gives a pretty good kickstart to competition against deer cuz uh their their agricultural equipment is supposed to be pretty smart and uh and mm-hmm. supposed to offer to save a bunch of money by getting things right and doing it quicker. So uh, that that sounds pretty compelling to me. Um, I I'm wondering if they have the same issue with deer, how you can't do your own oil change or anything like that because they have mm. the entire system on lockdown, which irritates the farmers. If they don't have that, I could see that leading or that helping to lead a a pretty good campaign yeah. against deer. But um, I, I I do like uh, someone taking the uh, the top dog for for. A, a good, mm-hmm. good run. Good run. Yeah. I mean, now and keep an eye out as we drive through Pennsylvania, see if we ever see any of their equipment around, because now that we know the name, we might be looking for it. Cause all I do see is I, John Deere. I mean, whenever you go through Pennsylvania, it's like, I think John Deere is, was born in Pennsylvania. I don't know. It just seems like I, it. I, I do live in uh, an area that has a uh, very quickly depleting farmland. So, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be on the look for that. Nice. All right. What are you thinking this week? Uh, any, any, uh, well, companies strike your fancy? I was kind of on a mission this week to find stocks that speak to me, me, just me. But unfortunately the ones I were looking at were for some reason I couldn't find them. Uh, Roland was one, uh, Roland makes a lot of musical equipment. They rate keyboards, they make effects pedals, but, um, uh, everything I found was you can't, you can't buy it here. I don't know why. So my first actual pick is going to be Yamaha corporation. Japanese company Yamaha, while they are known to many people as a motorcycle company, they also produce a huge selection of musical instruments and electronics. They are a known name as far as quality for their musical equipment. The stock is currently trading at around $28. There was a big dip in July. So now the time, now would be a good time to snatch it up if, before it gets back to its typical numbers, which were basically in the 30s and 40s. Now, keeping with the theme of my next pick, Gibson. Gibson Brands Incorporated. For those in the know, Gibson makes a variety of guitars, many of which have become staples in rock and roll. Gibson Les Paul, for instance, is a fine-looking instrument and played by such greats as Slash, and I actually got to meet Les Paul. That's a story for another day. He was an awesome guy. Super, super duper nice. But also, they also make the Gibson SG, which is one of my favorite guitars because it's kind of the bad boy of rock and roll. It's hard to control. If Fender is the easy to control, get whatever sound you want out of it, the Gibson SG is the bad boy. That's the loud, unpredictable, hard to control guitar. And one well-known guitarist, many well-known guitarists play it, but one of my favorite is Angus Young from ACDC. He's well-known for a Gibson SG. So if you can find Gibson Brands Incorporated, I would pick them and I would go for Yamaha. 
So Gibson is owned by KKNR, uh, and they are publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. KKNR. Thank you for the update on that, because uh, I was having trouble finding it. They are trading at $62.07 at the time of this recording. Okay. Now so, we're on uh, to Georgie's pick. Thank you. Thank Georgie, you for, what are your picks? Thank you for your infinite wisdom and excellent research by not even knowing who the parent company of the stock <laughs> or what stock hey. to buy for the brand that you want to. <laughs> I kept looking. I looked for a solid two minutes on this. And no, I did. I, I looked. I spent about a good 45 minutes to an hour trying to find it. But, you know, I get sidetracked. My uh, my pick for this week comes from the news that Under Armour's CEO, Stephanie Lennartz, aims to tap into the growing market opportunity of women's sportswear with a goal to increase women's product sales as a percentage of overall sales over time. Lennartz, who is the first woman to lead Under Armour and any major sports brand, plans to focus on sport spot, excuse me, Sport-style products, which blend performance and fashion elements. Really good idea. It's like a Lululemon idea. <laughs> she draws on her experience from her 25-year career at Marriott International, emphasizing the importance of building brand loyalty and deep connections with consumers. Lennartz also encourages individuals to take career risks, emphasizing the importance of being excited about the potential upside of risks. I completely agree with this um she had said that women only make up about 25 percent of their product sales so focusing on women with their brand which is a well-established brand and really known for being um uh you know sport professional sports grade gear i I think that's really smart and i'm really excited by this I, i think this is a good buy um i agree yeah, especially uh, I when especially when you start talking about yoga pants or you know like I compared them to Lululemon where you're you're mm-hmm. trying to blend comfortable uh performance uh gear with uh with fashion. I think that mm-hmm. especially in a post-covid world that, that is a very smart thing to do and I think there's a, a pretty big upside here. My my next Under pick, Armour in of itself. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I would just say uh, we actually, Under Armour is our preferred. Um, we have a huge line of, of clothing that our employees wear okay. for River Rock Academy, and it's all Under Armour, and it's some really, nice. really nice quality stuff. I mean, it's like 60 bucks just for like a zip pullover, you know, a, a zipper up or like a pullover, but they're really nice. Yeah, I uh, I don't have a lot of Under Armour. I buy a lot of my clothes at Costco, which uh, is, they, <laughs> they have a lot of like uh, Puma and Spider and Eddie Bauer and stuff like that. But uh, I have a couple Under Armour pieces. Um, the the ones I have are are exceptionally well made. I like them a lot. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I'm a big fan of this. My next pick is going to be Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, we had, I think, mentioned this before. If we did not mention it before, mm-hmm. then we'll mention it now that Warner Brothers, um, their they're, uh, HBO, or a, originally turned into Max for streaming, mm-hmm. their, um, mm-hmm. their app Max is now including sports into 
the app. For right now, all people who have uh, subscribed to HBO, sports is being included for free, and then I think they're going to jack the price up by $10 a month later on. But uh, they have added the sports to it now. It works really well. I was watching the Phillies game, Phillies-Atlanta Braves game, on Max the other night, and I was shocked that they were not blacking me out which is something that I have grown used to in baseball because <laughs> I live in a pirate's market and I can't watch a single pirates game even though I pay even though I pay 125 bucks a year for for MLB network and all the other crap I, I just live in a spot where I cannot watch a single pirates game at all period no matter what I look at I'm not the only one that has this problem with my favorite sports team so for them not to black me out uh, a Phillies game when I'm in the Phillies market um, that goes a long way with me looking ahead at hockey um, it seems like hockey for streaming will now all be on ESPN plus or max um, so that um, I, I'm I'm really hopeful on this I think that that is going to be the change that this stagnant company has needed for a really long time because they haven't been doing it in movies. So I, I think this uh, brings open a, a really big opportunity for them. And I, I think that uh, this will be a really good time to invest. Sounds really good. I would definitely do that. I, I have I have Max, and I use it constantly. And the sports is just another extra feature that I'm going to love. I mean, I haven't gotten blacked out of too many games. Uh, I don't watch baseball, so that's not, you know, that's not a problem. But. Hockey, football, basketball, hey, I'm on it. Yeah, I, I know you're not into into baseball, but my wife being Canadian, uh, we are hockey fanatics, and we, we, we do live oh, in a so hockey town. Uh, the, the Hershey Bears are the AHL team here, yeah. and um, they are the oldest AHL team. They're also one of the most successful AHL teams. They have 12 Calder Cups. Um, so we're who's their, NHL, who's their NHL affiliate now? The Washington Capitals. Wow. Okay. Because it used to be the Flyers. Yeah. And now it, the Flyers have the Phantoms. Yeah. It was the Flyers. It, it's been uh, the Bruins before. Um, really? Yeah. So they, they've they've gone around, the, um, but it's been mm -hmm. the Caps for a while. Um, yeah. So I, uh, my my wife is actually at a Hershey Bears signing, like a meet and greet with the team, right now. So I'm. I'm kind of <laughs> kind of hoping that um, she doesn't she do the smart home. thing and, and leave me to the side and go home with a, a hockey player on on the upswing. <laughs> so anything's possible, man. They're they're yeah. all about six five, six six, six seven, you know. Yeah. Oh, you're a hockey player from ca Canada? Really? I'm from Canada. I'm from Canada. Oh my God, I'm from Vancouver. Uh, you're from Vancouver. <laughs> I hope I hope when she smartens up enough to leave me that she's. She leaves me for a hockey player on the up, not like other AHL where they're on the way down. Can you, can you, yeah, can you get rent, like, can you get money from her after she leaves you and marries a rich hockey player? Is there any reverse no. divorce or any reverse type of uh, alimony? <laughs> I wouldn't think so, yeah, because it, it would be his money that would, yeah, yeah so I, I wouldn't think so. But. Wishful thinking. Ah, it's just a man keeping us down. Yeah, yeah, always the man. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, if you uh, hey. if you want to 
reach out to us. You can uh, Con- you can email us yeah. at stockgamblershow at gmail.com or you can visit our website, which I still need to uh, get on and fix up a little bit at stockgamblers.net. Um, stockgamblers.net. Yeah, please tell a friend about the show. And if you would like to support the show, uh, you can get information on how to do that in our show notes at Patre- uh, in our show notes, which is at patreon.com slash stockgamblers. But uh, thank you so much for listening. Hey, George. Yeah. Would we ever let anybody, uh, any of our fans, call in or be a guest? We would definitely consider that, yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. So if you have any experience, if you're a better moron than we are and you want to give us some advice, you could always let us know that you want to do a little appearance on Stock Gamblers. Just email so that's us the and thing. let us know. If you don't even if you don't even want to be on the show, you just want to give us your your listener stock picks. You can email us at stockgamblersshow at gmail.com, and we'd be happy to read your email on the air. If you do want to come on the show, I, you can be a moron with us. You know, we'll we'll have you on yeah. for an episode uh, or a portion of the episode. And there's always room. Yeah, the, there's always room for another moron. Always room for another idiot. <laughs> Not that, not like that you're idiot. an idiot. We're definitely idiots. No, but uh, We're idiots. I, I think I prefer... I like moron, but I like idiot, too. They have a nice nice relationship yeah, between the two. Whatever works, but uh, thanks for listening. Yes, thank you so much. Keep gambling. Keep gambling.